Welcome, New Life Manistee. Would you all stand and sing this morning? The Lord is worthy of our praise. He longs to be with us this morning. Let's come into his presence with joy in singing. Amen. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us.
promise to your people. Lord, we're so grateful that you love to meet with us. So Lord, we open our hearts to you today. We have this confidence in Jesus. His blood has brought us into freedom. There is no other that can save us.
It's in the presence of our pain. It's in the presence of valleys. Lord, we know that you're always with us. You go ahead of us. We're never alone. You're always with us, Lord. So we thank you for your unchanging nature. And Lord, we choose a life with you. We choose a life that's built on you like the wise man who built his house upon the rock, Lord. We wanna be in that camp. We don't wanna build our lives on anything that's foolish, anything that's sand, anything that crumbles, um, anything else, Lord, whether it's finances or job security, whatever comes to mind when you think of the things that maybe you've built your life on in the past. Lord, you are our firm foundation. And we want our life to be a life of love, a life that counts. And Lord, you've been calling out to us our whole lives. And Lord, we respond this morning with a yes. Yes, Lord, you can count on us. Lord, we wanna build our lives on you. We wanna be found faithful. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Let it be so. That's the cry of our hearts. We want a life that's built on you. We return our breath and praise this morning. You gave us breath, we sing it back to you, God. Come, let's lift him up, he is worthy. Sing this with me. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. You're worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Yeah. 
singing a song about building our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And I'm the pastor here, if I haven't met you, a couple weeks ago we talked about 2024 and building on the firm foundation of Jesus. And one of those things was our kids ministry, our students ministry. We have a thriving kids ministry downstairs, nursery, elementary school kids. We'll have our middle school ministry when, when we dismiss, not yet, you're not dismissed yet, but when we dismiss, we'll have a middle school ministry. On Wednesday night, we have a high school ministry. And I just think about that's the next generation. As you give to this church, those of you that give to this church, there's different ways if you're new to this church of giving online or the tithe box in the back. Would you consider this spiritual image of planting 
and watering the next generation. You know, there's this story, many of you probably know the story in the Gospels, where Jesus is doing the adult work. He's, he's teaching, people have come from all over. There's a great crowd, he's got, he's got teaching to do. People are coming forward for healing and getting prayed for. And then out of the blue, it seems like all these kids rush Jesus. And the disciples, this is my translation, my paraphrase, the disciples are like, get these kids out of here. There's, there's adult things, there's adult conversations, there's important stuff that needs to happen right now, and these kids are distracting, these kids are getting in the way, these kids are making a mess of Jesus' ministry. And you know what Jesus does? He says this phrase, rebuking the disciples. He says, let the little children come to me. That's what he says. Kids aren't the interruption. Kids, kids are the, the next generation. Kids are the, our, our kids' ministry and what we're doing here. I, I joked a couple Sundays ago, and some of you were like, hey, can you explain that? Because I'm not a very good comedian. I'm a pastor. But I made a joke saying there's another church meeting right now in our basement. And I said, it's our kids' ministry. It's the next generation. It's what we're building. We're teaching them that we're building our firm foundation upon Jesus. Would you pray with me? As we talk about receiving and giving to the Lord, Lord, you've blessed this church. We thank you so much that there's, there's space for, for kids, for your ministry in the lives of kids. If you see a kid around you, would you just stretch your hand out to a kid? God, we pray over the children in this room, Lord, the, the next generation. Lord, as we give to this church, may we see this image of spiritual seeds being planted in the lives of little ones. At this church, may we see the spiritual image of the, your work being watered in their lives and it growing and flourishing and they're, thereby yielding fruit, 10,000, 20,000, what was planted. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all you're doing in this church. We bless your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
we believe that, we hold to that as true. Lord, thank you that you are a God who loved us first, that you love us immensely. Lord, build our confidence, build our faith this morning in the immense amount of love that you have for us, that there is nothing that can separate. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us in worship today at New Life Manitou. It's so good to have you here with us. I see a lot of new faces. If you're new here or newish and you've never filled out a guest card, we have a gift for you in the back at the end of the service we would love to give you. And at this time, the kids can be dismissed to go to their classes. The rest of you turn and greet one another. We will be right back up here with the word in just a moment. Thank you. Two Springs. Good morning. It's still January, so I could still say Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Turn into your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We are in the second week of our series in the Gospel of John. It'll take us through uh, Easter, and we're going to look at the second part of chapter one. And the sermon title, I'll tell you what the sermon title is. It's Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the King James Version, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know who said that statement? 
John, I hear it, John the Baptist. Good job, congregation, John the Baptist. Do you want to hear a funny, fun, like pastor dad story? Yeah, so I'm a dad of four boys and a pastor, and the other day I was waking up for school, and they're just kind of, eh, you know, groggy, like kids, like everybody is when they get woken up, and I, I, was, I was planning my, you know, sermon, I get up early, I, I do a devo, I usually work on my sermon a little bit, I was, I was uh, planning my sermon on, on John the Baptist, and I, I go into my boys' room, and three of them share a room, uh, Max, Rowan, and Theo, and as they're waking up, I said, who could tell me something about John the Baptist? And I think it was Rowan. He said, Dad, uh, why are you always giving us Bible quizzes first thing in the morning? And I was like, I don't, oh, I don't wake you up with Bible quizzes every day. And they were like, yes, you do, Dad. You come in here every day and you wake us up with a Bible quiz. And I was like, absolutely not. I do not wake you up every day with Bible quiz. And then he began, as only kids can do, reminding me that the day before I came in asking him about if, I, if they knew what a gospel was. The day before that, I was asking them about uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. A couple days before that, I was like, yeah, the day before you, you were asking us about the Christmas story. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're right. Like in my mind, like I'm just preparing a sermon. I'm thinking through it. And then the first people I get to talk to are my kids as I'm waking up. So that's what they, that's what they get. First thing in the morning, a Bible quiz. They're right. I quiz them every day. And I'm not even mean to. I didn't even know. Like that's what I'm doing every day. I'm waking them up with a Bible quiz. I wonder if that's what they're going to remember when they get older. And like, yeah, dad would wake us up every day with a Bible quiz. Yeah, I guess I part of the deal of being a pastor's kid, I guess. So we're we're going to be looking at John the Baptist today. And, and by the way, they, after they complained, they did have some answers. Like, oh yeah, dad, he's the guy that baptized people, that John the Baptist. And, and the other one was like, duh, yeah, duh. And then another one was like, oh, he baptized Jesus. He was like, did he really baptize Jesus? Yes, he baptized Jesus. And then they both knew, Rowan and Max, because I think Theo was still nodding off and sleeping at this time. Uh, but Max and Rowan both knew the two strange facts about John the Baptist, what he wears and what he eats. Very strange. Do you know these details? John the Baptist wears... Yes, like a camel hair sackcloth thing with a leather belt, and he eats. What does he eat? Yeah, the, the, I think it was Max that said crickets and honey, but I accepted that as a correct answer. Crickets, locusts, I don't even know the difference, honestly. But yeah, he eats locusts and honey and wears this very bizarre suit. Like even for ancient times, that was a very bizarre suit, this camel hair suit and a leather belt. And so we're going to talk today about John the Baptist, and we're going to talk about how he baptized Jesus and what he said about Jesus before uh, he baptizes him. And this statement, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By the way, uh, we're going to do baptisms as one of my favorite Sundays, a couple different times a year. I think last year we did it three or four times. We did baptism Sundays, and uh, the Sunday after Easter is our uh, uh, just time when all the congregations of New Life do baptisms, and so we'll do baptisms on April 7th. So if the Lord is moving, stirring in your heart, if you're considering baptism, or you've rededicated your life, and it's like, this is a moment uh, I go leading into my walk with Christ where I want to get baptized, or if you have kids 
who were downstairs considering asking questions about baptism and salvation, then we are a congregation that baptize believers. We don't baptize kids. We sure dedicate them. So if you have kids, we pray blessings over kids and dedicate them. And when they're old enough they to make a decision for Christ, we will baptize with water. So that's coming up. Um, but turn in your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at John chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 19. And a quick side note, that oftentimes, uh, as, as a preacher, I'll talk through a person. You know, we're studying scripture. We usually uh, walk through passages of scripture. And throughout the course of my preaching, I've, I've gotten to preach messages on David, on Solomon. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, Elijah. Uh, we did a series on Ruth, if some of you remember that. We've talked a whole Sunday on Mary, the mother of Jesus. All these heroes, men and women in the Bible that are mentioned throughout the Old and New Testament. But there is one that stands out as being the greatest. You know, if you're like comparing the heroes of the Bible, it's like, well, who would be the best person? You know, who's the greatest hero of in the Bible? Obviously, the answer is Jesus. He's God. But then of the human beings, fully human, Jesus is fully human and fully God, but of the fully human beings of the Bible, which one is the greatest? Jesus. Did you know this? There's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting passage, Matthew 11, 11, where Jesus talks about John the Baptist and says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Are you familiar with this? Like out of all the heroes, all the, all the people in the Bible, John the Baptist, Jesus says, and Jesus is fully God, fully man. Jesus says that out of all the people in the Bible, John the Baptist is the greatest. So with that, let's read this story about John the Baptist. Would you stand with me? We're looking at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the second half. We're going to start in verse 19. And would you take a moment as you're standing and, and would you be open to letting the Lord speak to you through this important story, through this very important person? And would you be a little more proactive and ask the Lord in your heart, would you, Lord, would you speak to me? Would you speak to me as the word of God is being read? It says this in John chapter 1, verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. There's quite a ruckus. John has this ministry. It's going to say he's way out on the other side of the Jordan. So in the capital city, there's people being sent to ask John who he is. Verse 20 says, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, well, well then who are you? Are you Elijah? It's a funny question to ask someone that's not Elijah. They asked him if he's Elijah, and I'll explain a little later what they're getting at by asking him this. But he says, I am not. And then they ask him, are you the prophet? He answers, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us a bone here. We got to go back and tell him something. Give us an answer to take back with those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. And these are words recorded 700 years before Jesus came. These are Old Testament prophecies about someone who is coming. And it is this, I am the voice. This is what John is saying about himself. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And then the Pharisee who had been sent questioned him. So, so why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet? John says this, I baptized 
I baptize with water, John replied, but among you, he's talking about Jesus now. John's life is all about pointing to Jesus. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Like I'm not even worthy to touch this guy's shoes. And it says this, um, he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This happened at Bethany on the other side of Jordan where John was baptizing. And then this, the next day came, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, this is the title of this sermon, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pay attention, lean into this. And then John is about to do this little speech about who Jesus is. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me, he surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John continues the speech. John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. As we stand here, Lord, we, we pray that first that we might, Lord, you might give us this anointing to be like John the Baptist, and that is to point to you, to live our lives in such a way that points to who you are, that you, Jesus, are the one that you, you're the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you are the one in this passage that says you're going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we are open to you this morning as we stand here. We're open to you, your Holy Spirit. We're open to seeing you as the Lamb of God who takes away all of, all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness. Lord, we stand in awe of, of you and your word. Lord, we praise your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's jump into this sermon. I have a three-point sermon. It's kind of my custom. Uh, the first point, they're all right out of the text of Scripture. The first one is John says this about himself. John says that he is the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. These, these religious leaders are being sent from the capital to ask John, who are you? You're causing a ruckus. There's large crowds. People are coming out in the middle of nowhere. You're wearing camel skin suit with a leather belt. You're eating locusts. You're a weird dude. Who are you? What is going on? Tell me something. You've said you're not these different people. You're not the prophet. You're not Elijah. You're not uh, the Messiah. But who are you? And he says, I will give you this answer. I'm the voice of the one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. We know quite a bit about this John the Baptist character, at least about his birth story, because it's a part of the Christmas story. Do you know a little bit about the story? His mom's name was Elizabeth. His dad's name was Zechariah, good job. I think I heard it. Uh, and an angel comes to Zechariah and says, in your old age, even though your wife and yourself are old age, beyond the years of having children, you're going to have a children, you, you, child. You've always wanted a child, and this miracle is going to happen. And Zechariah, the dad, he doesn't believe it. And so God gets his attention by doing what? He, he makes him deaf and mute. He's not able to speak. He's not able to hear until the child is born. Talk about a way to get someone's attention. Now you're left in silence until this promise becomes true. And John is then born. 
And he is uh, Jesus' cousin because Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. So they're like second or third cousins. I'm not sure how that works in the family tree. And, and the, the Greek is kind of like, just kind of says they're relatives like Mary and Elizabeth. And we were talking about this last night after dinner, like this scene where Mary shows up and Jesus is in Mary's uh, womb, and Elizabeth is there with John, the Baptist, in her womb, and Elizabeth, like, the baby leaps inside of her. Like, what, what was that? Like, there's a lot of mystery and questions around John the Baptist, and yet he is, by Jesus, called the greatest of all people who have ever lived. He's called apart, even from a young age. So the, the story of the Christmas story of John the Baptist being born Right after that, it says, and you were to, you know, pull him away, and he's not to have any wine or strong drink. It very much seems like he's taking a Nazarite vow. In fact, I could say this sentence. It's very possible that John the Baptist took a Nazarite vow as an Essene. And I'll explain this. It's not said directly in Scripture. This is kind of like looking at Scripture being like, a Nazarite vow is someone who uh, doesn't cut their hair. Uh, their time is being devoted to the Lord. Both Old Testament and New Testament mention these kind of vows. You don't cut your hair. You don't go to funerals or spend any time around uh, the dead. And some people say, well, that, that might be dead bodies of any kind. And so they're vegetarians. Uh, they, they don't eat or drink anything from grapes at all. Uh, they, they remove themselves from society in the ancient world. A lot of uh, Nazarite vow people were also Essenes. And if you know Biblical history, maybe you've heard that word before. An Essene is someone who is living in the world, but apart from the world, like in their own community, an Essene community. I think the modern day equivalent could be like the Amish or maybe a Jewish kibbutz, like people who are not in this, like they're living differently while in the world. They're in the world, but not of the world. They're of the world, but they're not in the world. They're separate from the society. And John is clearly this type of person. I mean, he, the clothing he chooses to wear, very bizarre. Like even for the ancient times, camel's hair, leather belt. And this might have a parallel with Elijah. In the Old Testament, uh, 2 Kings 1, 8 describes Elijah as a hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. The, the Gospel of Mark is kind of lining these things up and giving us those details to very deliberately compare this prophet of old, Elijah, with this new prophet who's leading the way to Jesus, and he's making this comparison deliberate. John's diet, I mean, think about all the fad diets going on. This is the most bizarre. I mean, you could tell me your diet is like, oh, I only eat this certain time of day, like an intermittent fasting, or I only eat this certain uh, meals, or I only eat uh, high-protein diets, or some of you might be like, I'm only doing carbs, and everyone's like, whoa, that's weird. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. No, this is crazy. John the Baptist ate locusts, grasshoppers. I mean, what a weird, I mean, what a weird way of living in the world, but not of the world. And I, I get a picture of how weird this character, John the Baptist, must have been uh, back in the day when New Life Church used to do the thorn. Does anybody remember? Oh, look at all the hands. The thorn. The thorn was this Easter pageant that came out of the youth group at New Life North. And they did such a good job with this Easter pageant for the youth group that it became a whole church Easter pageant. So it was like quite a few years in a row with a few years off. New Life would host this Easter pageant and it was wonderful. Then it got even bigger. So then they went on the road and the thorn is still around. They go on tour. Maybe you've uh, heard about it, seen about it. They're going to be in town uh, in March and you can go see this Easter pageant 
pageant that came out of New Life Church some, maybe like 30 years ago, started this thing. And anyways, uh, back in the day when, they were, when New Life was still doing the thorn at New Life uh, every year, there was this guy that played John the Baptist. And he was a friend of mine. He's like in his 20s. I was in my 20s quite a few years ago. His name was Bob. His nickname was Bob the Baptist. And uh, he, re- what's it called when like an actor really gets into the acting? Is it method? Method acting? Like he was in, in like, <laughs> even if he wasn't like on the stage in the thorn, he grew out his hair, kind of talked funny, was totally unkempt, didn't take a shower, really got into this character of John the Baptist, and his nickname was Bob the Baptist. And people would just kind of be like, hey, man, who's your friend? Like, he's kind of a kind of a weird guy. And I would explain, like, oh, it's for a role in a play. And they were like, yeah, but he's, he's really into it. And I was like, yeah, I know. It's kind of weird. And it just got me, like, thinking, like, this John the Baptist character in real life must have been very bizarre, like, living not of this world. And I have always been fascinated with people who are living in the world, but not living like the world. Is anybody else fascinated by like people who just live so differently? People that like don't have technology, people that maybe uh, have bizarre diets, people who dress very differently than everybody else and just kind of stand out as being different. You know, as Christians, we're just like that. Like we're different. We might not dress or eat or, you know, there's details of our lives, but at the core of our lives, we are different than the world around us. Amen. There's something inside of us that is calling us and making us different. A lot of that is the way we live and the the things we choose not to do. I think about this quote. It's, It's a quote I think about. It's not my quote, but uh, I heard it somewhere. Having everything you want is called wealth. If you have everything you want, if you can need, that's called wealth. But going willingly without, like laying down, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to dress this way. I'm not going to buy this. Going willingly without is power. Having everything you need, that's wealth. But going willingly without, that's power. And the life of Christ often calls us to live differently than the world, to have a life of discipline. I think of discipline. Here's a definition of discipline. Discipline is to train oneself to do something in a controlled and habitual way. And I think about our society. I think about all the impulsiveness. I think I think most of you will nod your head in agreement that that more and more, you know, th- this next generation, our kids are growing up in a world full of impulses and Gosh, video games and, and food being available every time. You know, I don't like this. I like that. I want this. I want it now. I think about uh, um, addictions. I think about the mental health. I think about um, maybe ADHD and attention deficits and, and just how quickly and, uh, and how impulsive this world has gotten. I think we should, as Christians, take note of that and say the life of Christ is a life of discipline. And if the life of John the Baptist teaches us anything, because he really stands out as someone who's living not like the people around him, it's to teach us that the disciplined life should lead us and point us to the ways of Christ. I wrote it like this. A life of discipline, a life of discipline is for keeping God's ways before us and pointing others to him. 
a life of discipline, if you're, if you're living a life of discipline and, and not of this world, it's not for the discipline's sake. It's not to be legalistic. It's not to force rules and regulations on other people's. A life of discipline is for keeping God's ways before us and pointing others to him. So whatever, I think in, in this time of January, people are often thinking about resolutions and resolves and visions and goals. Whatever those things are for your life, keep Christ at the center. That, that your own life, a disciplined walk, your life should become less him, his, his ways, his life should increase. In fact, there's a verse. I was talking with friends years ago and someone I really look up to, a mentor, uh, we were talking about our favorite verse. That's a fun question, maybe lunch question. What's your favorite verse? And just, just go around and see if different people have favorite verses. Maybe that's a good question for you. If you're like, I don't know what my favorite verse is, get a favorite verse, something you can think about, something that encourages you. And my friend's favorite verse, I had never heard this verse before. It's a quote from John the Baptist. It's found in John 3.30. He says, he, this is John pointing to Jesus saying, he must become greater, I must become less. What a great verse. What a great um, life goal in your life that, that he must increase and I must decrease. Here's point two. I'm gonna move a little quicker now in this sermon and, and reread what we read and, and kind of talk through it. Point number two is this. Make straight the way of the Lord. This is what John the Baptist is doing. He's preparing the way for the Lord. He's making the way of the Lord straight so that people can find and see Jesus. Last week's sermon if you were here last week, that's like a, that was like a level one sermon. You should go back and listen to it. It's foundational. It was the theology of who Jesus is, fully God, fully human. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He made it all. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. And then he says, to all those who do receive him, he, became, he gave the right to become children of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. A very theological sermon last week. This week's sermon is more practical. This is what the story holds when, when people come to John and ask John who he is. Verse 19 says, he did not fail to confess. This is verse 20, excuse me. But confess freely, I'm not the Messiah. He says, I'm not the, the anointed one who's predicted in the Old Testament to come. They ask him if he's Elijah. I told you I explained this because the book of uh, the Old Testament ends with the last book of the Old Testament starts with an M. What is it? Malachi, good job, congregation. Malachi, the last few pages uh, has this verse that says that John the Baptist, excuse me, says that Elijah will come again. So the Old Testament, let me make sure you're with me. So at the time of the New Testament, at, at John, as this conversation is going on uh, between the, uh, the, the priests and the Levites asking John who he is, would they have had the New Testament? No, because, I mean, it's not a trick question. They wouldn't have had it because it's being written like right now. I mean, what's in the New Testament is, is going on right now. So all they would have had is the Old Testament. The Old Testament ends with this book, Malachi. And in it, it says that Elijah is gonna come again, which is very odd because the Bible does not teach about reincarnation. So this has to be like a spiritual thing that, the, that the, something like a type and a shadow of this Elijah character would come again. And so they wanna know, like the, before the, this verse says in Micah, uh, excuse me, Malachi. Have I been saying Mi Micah this whole time? I said Malachi, thank you. Uh, Malachi 4, 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you 
before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So there's going to be a great day of the Lord, and before that is going to be sent Elijah. And so they want to know, like, this care, is this day of the Lord here? Is this person who was to come, Elijah? Is this John the Baptist? So they ask him, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not Elijah. But you want to know something interesting? I wish I had more about this. Like, these are one of some of the questions I would love to ask the Lord when we are in the new heaven and the new earth and we're standing. It's like, hey, what's the deal with, like, the Elijah and John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist says he's not Elijah, but then Jesus, in this passage, Matthew eleven fourteen, Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, he, talking about John the Baptist, is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has an ear, let him hear. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, this is one of those bizarre passages. I mean, the whole story of John the Baptist, it's kind of bizarre. But this is like extra bizarre. Like he is the Elijah in the Old Testament who was to come again before the great day of the Lord. Like this is being, it's, it's John, the, the gospel writer, is telling us this is the greatest story ever told. This is God coming to earth. And the predictions of the Messiah and the prophet. So John the Baptist is asked, are you the prophet? And he says, no, I'm not. And why are they asking him if he is the prophet? And it's capitalized here. Well, they're asking him if he's the prophet because in the Old Testament, like a thousand years before this story, is the story of Moses. And Moses says that there will be another prophet who is to come. This is found in Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord Uh, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And they're waiting, they're hoping, they're longing for the Messiah prophet who is to come. And John the Baptist is being asked, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? And John the Baptist says, no, no, no. Then who are you? I'm the one who is making straight. I am the one who is pointing to Jesus. Let me skip to this point here. Point others to Jesus. I'll say that again. Three words, four words. <laughs> Point others to Jesus. I can count. This is what John the Baptist does. Point others to Jesus. I wonder if Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest person who has ever existed because he's not pointing to himself. His whole life is one that points to Christ. John the the Baptist does this with his whole life, points to Christ. Think about a a church. Maybe some of you have been to very old churches. If you come into a church uh, that has, like, it's called an iconostasis. It's a wall of icons at the front of a church. Old Catholic churches, Orthodox churches will have, can you imagine, like, walking into a church and seeing icons everywhere, like pictures of angels and and different saints and and different people and Bible stories? Can you imagine this? Have you been into uh, other churches, maybe for a wedding or for uh, just going into, like, if you've been to Europe or older cities where you go in and there's this big wall of paintings and pictures. At the center is the altar of Jesus where often the the communion elements, the body and blood are kept. At the very center is uh, the representation of the altar of God and the Lamb of God, Jesus. And almost always, look for it next time you're in an old church for whatever reason, you're in an old church looking at an iconostasis, this wall of icons. On the left, you will almost always, right before the middle of the altar, you will see a picture of Mary. And on the right side, the altar's in the middle, on the right side, there'll be a picture of John the Baptist. 
Look for it. Next time you go to an old church, a medieval church or a church that's older than that, look for those two icons, Mary and John. Because these two people, in the story of God coming to earth, in the story of God becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us, Mary is the one that carries Jesus in her womb. She carries God in her womb and gives birth to God. John the Baptist, well, in his ministry, prepares the way, prepares the teaching, prepares the hearts of the people, prepares the crowd for what Jesus, God himself, is going to say and do in this world. Be like these two people, Mary and John the Baptist, bringing God into this world. That's what we're called to do, point others to Jesus. And as we talk about John the Baptist here, it'd be a mistake to just make him the the center of the sermon because John the Baptist is someone who points to Christ. And so this last point is this. It's the words of John the Baptist when he sees Jesus. He says, look, or I really like the King James, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's the title of this sermon. This is point number three. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who is Jesus? Well, he's, he's fully God. It, listen to last week's sermon, a foundational sermon, a level one sermon. But what does that mean for us? If Jesus is God, and he's also in this metaphorically uh, uh, pronounced picture by John the Baptist, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, well, then he is God who is acting as a lamb. And if you know your Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, people brought lambs to the temple, to the altar, and they were killed on behalf of the sins and the mistakes of themselves or their family or the people. Day after day in the temple, lambs, year after year, were being killed, lambs being killed on behalf of the atonement for sin. And John here is saying when he sees Jesus, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as we look in this room at the center of our building, the the cross, the cross is where Jesus died. The cross is where Jesus was born into this world, but then throughout his ministry ends his life on the cross, being the atoning sacrifice once and for all as, a, as like a lamb being sacrificed for our sins. Would you stand with me? The band can come forward. They're gonna lead us in one last song. And the, the song is to come to the altar. That's the name of this song. And as we stand, as we prepare ourselves, um, every week we, we come forward for communion. And... We come forward for communion. It's, it's an open table. If you're new to this congregation, you don't need to be a member here. If you believe in Jesus, if you would say, yes, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is God. We believe in Jesus. Then you're invited to come forward. And the communion servers will, will hand you the bread, the, the elements, and the cup. And they'll say, Christ's body and blood for you. Would you receive that element? Would you consider going back to your seat and just holding it and waiting, praying, meditating that on this statement, what John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
As you come, there's gonna be uh, ushers to help you find your place in the rows. And would you come forward considering Jesus as the Lamb of God? Lord, we pray to you now as we come humbly before you, looking towards your cross, receiving your cup, receiving your body, which is the bread of life. Lord, may we come to the altar. May we receive these gifts of God for the people of God. May we receive the, this body of Christ, which is for us, the body of Christ.
me if you have it and remember that Jesus is the bread of life. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we recognize that his sacrifice was this beautiful metaphor of the sacrifice of his body for us. And so we take the bread and with joy we receive it. Thank you, Lord. We take the cup. Jesus says, this is a cup of a new covenant. My blood is shed for you. It's a sacrifice, his sacrifice for us, our past, our mistakes. Now, sometimes we, we come into church riddled with just thinking about being judged or the mistakes we've made. And this moment in our service is a moment where we can celebrate and thank the Lord that our sins are forgiven, washed. We are whiter than snow by God's grace and his mercy and his sacrifice atoning for our sins. So would you lift this cup? Would you receive it with me? So Lord, we are in awe of of you. We, We stand like John the Baptist watching you come into our lives just saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, we point to you with our lives. Would you help us do that this week? Lord, we give you all praise and all honor in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And God's people said, amen. Well, like always, we'll have a prayer team. The communion team can come back uh, forward to pray with you, to pray over you. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, If you're new or newish, or if you've been coming for who knows years and you're not on our email list, you need to get on that list uh, so we can let you know about things happening around here. You can do that on paper as you leave. Someone will greet you at the door. You can fill out a paper um, guest card. You could also do it online with a little QR code on the backs of the chairs. I have, uh, as a little church, we have a lot going on. My goodness, uh, we would love to have you join our volunteer team, especially to, to serve with our kids ministry. And that's the next generation of, of believers coming up through the, the, the doors of this building. And so if you're interested in volunteering, we'd love to have you fill out a volunteer application online. We have a high school ministry happening this Wednesday, 633. At guess what time it's at on Wednesday? You guessed it, 6.33. Our men's, Manitou men's ministry was, so pay attention to this men, was going to launch this Thursday. We've pushed it out to February 8th because a lot of the leaders were not going to be in town and it's our launch and the leaders wanted to be there. So the men's ministry launch is on February 8th. We're going to introduce Sean. Sean, would you wave to everybody over there? Sean is going to lead us through a curriculum of Nehemiah and the five pillars of being a man throughout this whole year. So the launch of that is going to be really important and set the stage for this new year of men's ministry. That's on February 8th. Eighth, good job, men. Women's uh, also has a retreat that night, the women's ministry, February 8th, 9th, and 10th. They're going to be launching a retreat, and so it's up in the Black Forest. Uh, some, I think 15 or more spots are still available for our women's ministry. You can go online. There's information about it, and there is a registration form. Uh, Baptism Sunday, I mentioned that, April 7th, and then tomorrow night, right here, We have a ministry on the second and fourth Mondays called Sound Minds, which is a Bible study, support group, discussion group uh, around the topic of mental health. So 
please come to that. If that's something that interests you or interests a family member, come right here. It's, you don't want to miss it. Let me pray a blessing over you. Would you hold open your hands? Receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.